if you want to participate in a more extended version of that chant, join us on Sunday mornings at, uh, what is it, 8.30 our time. <clears throat> so I'd like to begin uh, my programs by quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who always began his programs by saying in Hindi, Sabko varasanmane kesat premse ardik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he also said, every day during my lectures, I say, respect everybody. To do this, first of all, you must respect yourself. Only then can you respect others. You're not what you appear to be on the outside. You are something else on the inside. So discover that. Within a person, there is the effulgence of God. Each of you should see that radiance. Along with this light of God, there is so much joy. The purpose of human life is to attain that joy. And it's for that reason that we, uh, we have satsang, we, have, we do spiritual practices to, to farm, to milk, to mine that ocean of joy. Terrible mixed metaphor, isn't it? <laughs> That's... Uh, within us. And tonight, one of my favorite topics my favorite texts. God speak the conscious with me Come and be cosmically conscious. Cosmically conscious with me. Such a joy, joy, 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 such a joy. Cosmically conscious. And so those of you who know, know I'm talking about the Yoga Vashishta, one of the great, extraordinary texts, uh, medieval texts of India, texts of great wisdom. And uh, I, my first teacher, Haridas Baba, told me I should study this. And then when I met Baba, he told me I should study this text. And it's very rewarding <clears throat> one. So first of all, Maestro, what do we have? It's the story of Lord Ram, who's pictured on the left, and his guru, uh, the yogi sage Vashishta. Um, and Lord Ram was, of course, a great avatar of Vishnu, and yet uh, he did his sadhana, did his practice under the tutelage of Vashishta. And the, this book, uh, well, at least the the premise of the book is that it's the teachings of Vishishta to Lord Ram. Now, we don't actually know the circumstances, but a great sage, a magnificent sage, uh, generated the book, whatever the actual circumstances. But here we see Vishishta teaching Ram. Uh, and then in, in modern times, it's been translated, next one, uh, by a contemporary sage, M. Swami Venkatesananda, 
uh, who was a good friend of mine many years ago. Uh, and there you see uh, him telling, teaching me about the Yoga Vashishta in Sydney, Australia, way many years ago. <clears throat> so the Yoga Vashishta. Uh, scholars place it between the 8th and the 11th century, medieval period, right about the same time that Kashmir Shaivism uh, came about in Kashmir. Uh, its main teaching can be summed up, well, I would say that it, it, it's a, a tremendous example of the philosophy of consciousness. Main premise is that consciousness lies behind everything, that everything is consciousness. This world is nothing but the play of consciousness. Uh, and you can see uh, Vedantic uh, and Buddhist and even Kashmir Shaivite influences in it because it, uh, it seems, in fact, a perfect blend of Vedanta and Shaivism. The essence is consciousness. Uh, Yoga Vishishta explains that it's the mind alone that creates bondage and liberation. He squarely places uh, the, the central issue in our spiritual life on the mind, on understanding the mind, in dealing with the mind, in making the mind move in the proper direction, and going beyond the mind. This is all uh, the teaching. It's filled with many, many psychedelic stories, uh, extraordinary stories which go beyond space and time and uh, uh, into different universes and so on, all to teach that this world is nothing but a play of consciousness and that nothing is real in itself uh, because it's all part of consciousness, as in a dream, as you'll hear tonight. <clears throat> this, the, uh, the path that it teaches close to my heart, is self-inquiry. Uh, inquiry is the essence of the sadhana that Vashishta teaches Ram. He says, inquire, go deeper within until you reach the self. And Baba would quote it all the time with his favorite phrase, yadrishti sashrishti, as, as the world is as you see it. As you are, so you see the world. Depending on your state of consciousness, that's what the world appears to you. The world's not objective. The world is a reflection of your state of consciousness. Extraordinary um, point of view. Uh, he says, you can, uh, when you understand that everything exists in the mind, uh, you can renounce those things that bring you down and you can overcome the influence of past actions, your tendencies. You may have a tendency to anger or jealousy, but by understanding the mind, understanding the self, you can get beyond them, uh, and then you attain great peace. So it's a struggle always between understanding and one's vasanas, or tendencies. So this is the Yoga Vashishta, and these, these points are made in a million different ways, and tonight, uh, I've got a section which is very interesting, entertaining, where Vashishta talks about his meeting with Lord Shiva. Um, <clears throat> and he says, Vashishta says, telling Ram, I lived in the abode of Lord Shiva, known as Kailas, 
for some time. And Kailash is an actual physical mountain in the Himalayas, a very high mountain, sacred mountain on the border of, of Tibet. And uh, many people make pilgrimages there. Uh, so he lived in, in that area. Sometimes Shaivites will do practices in that area. So he, <clears throat> I was worshiping Lord Chief and practicing austerities. Uh, isn't that a wonderful statement, practice austerities? It's very alien to our Western mind. Well, what does he mean by practicing austerity? He means meditating, basically. There are many other kinds of austerities. You can uh, fast, you can do yoga of different types, you can do other things like that. <clears throat> but um, basically it's to meditate and go within. One day I saw a great light in the forest. With my insight, I inquired into its nature. First inquiry, what is this? I saw that it was Lord Shiva himself. I saluted the Lord and asked him, Lord, what is the method of worshiping the Lord which destroys all sins and promotes all auspiciousness? So if you had one question, if you met Lord Shiva on the road, what would you, uh, what would you say to him? Lord Shiva said, do you know who God is? God is not Vishnu or Shiva or Brahma, not the wind, the sun, or the moon, not the Brahman or the king, nor I, nor you, nor Lakshmi, nor the mind. God is without form and undivided. So this is essential teaching. He's going he's to say that God is pure consciousness. He said, God is without form and undivided, that splendor which is not made and which has neither beginning nor end is known as God or Lord Shiva, which is pure consciousness. He said it's not him, but then he's Lord Shiva, but I guess he means in his cosmic form. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about this the other day. The unstruck sound, the first sound that didn't have that had no thing to ring it, that wasn't hit, it just sound that was. Um, the unmoved mover, it's talked about in Western uh, theological circle. God, God is the unmoved mover, that which gets everything else in motion, but he himself doesn't, is not impelled by something else. It's all self-generated. It's where the buck, the buck stops here. There's nothing beyond that, nothing before it. <clears throat> that had no beginning, nor will this God have an end. Uh, before the, what, what, what a question you could ask a scientist, before the Big Bang, what was there? And uh, the Shaivite would say, before the Big Bang, Shiva was, consciousness was. <clears throat> He says, that alone is fit to be worshipped, and that alone is all, the first cause of the universe. <clears throat> if one is unable to worship pure consciousness, then he should worship the form. So just as in Shaivism, you move from different upayas. If, you know, you're first offered the formless. Worship the formless consciousness. If that's too abstract for you, some people will grab onto that and say, oh, 
I love that. Fantastic. Makes sense to me. But others will say, what the hell does that mean? That's too abstract. I need a form to meditate on. So, so because of that, compassionately, Shaivism gives a form. You can meditate on the form of, of the deity or different kinds of things on almost any form. There are worshippers of the sun, uh, worshippers of, of all the different deities and so on. The form yields finite results, but pure consciousness bestows infinite bliss. He who ignores the infinite and is devoted to the finite abandons a pleasure garden and seeks a thorny bush. bush. However, sages sometimes worship a form playfully. I love that line, that you'll see great sages worshiping the form playfully. I always felt that Baba was was uh, a worshiper of the self, of the absolute, of consciousness itself, and yet he loved to worship the form of his, his guru, Bhagwan Nityananda. And so that's what it means playfully. It doesn't mean playfully like a game, but, but lightly, as a way of channeling one's feeling. He, and Shiva's going on. Shiva says, now for the articles used in worship, now, in, uh, in a Hindu puja, there are different articles that are used, uh, different offerings. Light is offered, that you wave the light, you offer incense, you can sometimes offer food stuff, and so on. But uh, you offer ghee. Uh, but here, the offerings in this worship of pure consciousness are wisdom, self-control, and the perception of the self in all beings are the foremost among these articles. Three, three, three articles in this worship of the infinite. Wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is to know which end is up. To know what's, what's true from what's false. In which direction to move and so on. Um, self-control. Once you know the direction you should move, self-control means you have to control any impulses you have to go in another direction. So not to do things that are bad for you, but to keep on the, on the path. And the third one's very interesting, the perception of the self in all beings. So just as Baba said, meditate on the self and then see God in each other. A part of the discipline it's not only to go inside, to know the self inside, but to see that same self outside. <clears throat> Shiva goes on. The self alone is Lord Shiva, who is fit to be worshipped at all times with the flowers of wisdom. He says, indeed, only the infinite consciousness, Chittakash, which alone exists, even after the cosmic dissolution, exists even now, utterly devoid of objectivity. So this, this pure, infinite consciousness always was. It didn't come into being. How could infinite consciousness come into being? It always was, and even when the world dissolves, it will still be there. The world is only an appearance in this 
consciousness. This is what uh, he's saying. All these mountains, the whole world, the heavens, the self, the individuals and individuality, and all the elements of this world, of, with this, of which this world is con constituted, all these are nothing but pure consciousness. Before the so-called creation, only pure consciousness existed. Everything is consciousness, he's saying. This is the point of view of Shaivism, also of Vedanta, of the philosophy of consciousness. It's extraordinary thought. It's an extraordinary thought. It's not the kind of thought that you should, you should just say, oh yeah, that's true, or oh yeah, that's false. You should contemplate that and go deep into what it means practically, here and now. <clears throat> Meditate on it. He says, Shiva still speaking, even as the duality expressed in dreams is illusory, the duality implied in the creation of the world is illusory. So in a dream, whatever you see in a dream is an illusion. You wake up and you say, oh, that was a dream. Just a dream, that's all. He's saying the same thing is true here. This is all an illusion. Everything that happens is an illusion. Just as the objects in a dream seem real, but only exist in dream consciousness, so objects in the outer world seem real, but actually exist in consciousness, even in the waking state. That's a big one to swallow, but well worth contemplating. Nothing really happens in both these states. Nothing happens in dream, and he's saying that nothing happens here. Nothing happens here. Well, if you have that point of view that nothing happens, then you're very peaceful indeed, right? You don't get hooked in. We're terribly hooked in. We're hooked in to all kinds of things. Not getting what we want, people being mean to us, this and that and the other thing. We're totally hooked in. But if you take this point of view, nothing to get hooked in about. He says, nothing really happens in both these states. Even as consciousness alone is the reality in the dream state, Consciousness alone is the substance in the waking state too. That is the Lord. That is the supreme truth. That you are, that am I, and that is all. So there Lord Shiva is giving the great Upanishadic dictum. Uh, you are that. I am that. We are all that, and that's all there is. Consciousness itself. Well worth exploring. You know, I spent a long time in India meditating on consciousness and trying to work out what these guys were talking about. Consciousness. And I realized that, that uh, I had a big head start in this. Well, if I was worshipping Shiva or Lakshmi or Durga or the Buddha, They'd be very far away from me, but when I meditated on consciousness, consciousness was very close to me because I could observe my own consciousness, my own awareness. And, and it's very easy to meditate on your own consciousness and to be with it and, and understand and try to grasp it. Lord Shiva continued, the worship of that Lord, i.e. consciousness, 
is true worship. And by that worship, one attains everything. It's saying that all the efforts we make in the outer world to attain what we want are nothing compared to the effort to understand and experience our own awareness. That this would be really fruitful. And I have to say that it's my experience that this is true. The illusion of the world is that everything outside glitters and that we'll make our life better if we get this and that. But what the sages say as one is that's the wrong direction, that we should look within and solve the issues. Shiva goes on, he is undivided and indivisible, non-dual, and neither fashioned nor created by activity. He is not attained by external efforts. His adoration is the fountain source of joy. Can't be attained because he's already there. He's already attained. I shall now describe to you the mode of worship appropriate to enlightened people like you. Now who's talking to whom? Shiva is, no, Shiva is talking to Vashishta. Oh. And Vashishta is talking to Ram, so. <clears throat> maybe it's, maybe, I don't know which one it is at this point. Let's see. No, no, I think it's the Lord Shiva talking to Vashishta. The Lord fit to be worshipped is indeed the one who upholds the entire creation, who is beyond thought and description, who is beyond concepts of even the all and the collective totality. He alone is referred to as God, who is undivided and indivisible by space and time. Very similar to uh, what Shaivism says about Shiva, undivided, indivisible, whose light illumines all the objects, who is pure and absolute consciousness. He is that intelligence which is beyond all its parts, which is hidden in all that is, which is the being in all that is. What, what uh, if we were to do a dharana on this, what comes up? Anything come up to you? What, is, what, do you wanna, what would you want to meditate on from that? I always, it always comes up for me to meditate on the light. Meditate on the light. Go inside for a moment and meditate on the light of consciousness. Consciousness is a great light, not like an electric light, but it's a light in which everything is known. Meditate on your own awareness, awareness itself. Not your awareness about things. Just your, the fact of being aware. It's an ineffable mystery, this awareness of ours. It's right there, it's very obvious, and it still is mysterious. Okay, let's go forward. There are many dharanas in these texts, so I'll try not to do too many. <clears throat> he says, he is that intelligence which is beyond all parts, 
which is hidden in all that is, which is the being in all that is. If you like your detective books, detective fiction, if you like to solve mathematical problems, you like to solve things and get to the bottom of things, well, there's the big problem of problems, to find the essence of everything, to find Shiva, to find consciousness, to find reality at the heart of all of this, this whole commotion of life, to find the essence. This is the ultimate detective story. This Brahman in the middle is in the middle of being and non-being. It is God and the truth that is indicated as Om. It is Om. It exists everywhere. That pure consciousness which is you, is in you, in me, and in all the gods and goddess, goddesses alone is God. Holy One, even the other gods endowed with form are indeed nothing but that pure consciousness. The entire universe is pure consciousness. That is God, that all I am. Everything is attained from and through him. There's nothing apart from him. That God is not distant for anyone. <clears throat> nor is he difficult to attain. This is a marvelous statement. He's not distant. I just said how close your consciousness is to you. Nor is he difficult to attain. He's forever seated in the body and is everywhere like space. You can look from outside. Whatever you see is that. And you look inside and see it in your body. He does everything. He eats. He holds everything together. He moves, he breathes, he knows every limb of the body. He is the light in which all these limbs function, in which all the diverse, diverse activities take place. He dwells in the cave of one's own heart. He transcends the mind and the five senses of cognition, five senses. Therefore, he cannot be comprehended or described by them, not by the senses. You can't see this self, you can't smell this self, you can't hear this self. The self is beyond all of that. Yet for the purpose of, of, of instruction, he is indicated as consciousness. He's not really consciousness, he's ineffable. He's the mystery. And so it appears, as though he does everything, he does nothing. That consciousness is pure, and seemingly engages itself in the activities of the world. What about this, this business? It's very easy. It's, it, when you reach a certain stage in your life, in your journey through this world, these words will come as pure nectar. And they'll say, thank heavens someone is talking about this, and thank heavens someone is authoritative and saying these things from authority. But in, before you come to that place in your life, you'll say, well, what does that have to do with me? I've got to get a job. I need to buy some clothes. I need to lose a little weight. I need to do this and that and the other thing. <clears throat> and that's okay. You go about your business. But for those who reach that point, these words become an elixir. Lord Shiva continues. How are we going? 
<laughs> somewhere, somewhere, this consciousness functions as space. Somewhere, as a jiva, an individual here, it's all here, it's all functions as jiva. Somewhere as action, somewhere as substance, and so forth. Consciousness is functioning in all these different ways, somewhere. <clears throat> Even as all the different oceans are but one indivisible mass of water, this consciousness, though described in different ways, is but one cosmic mass of consciousness. So all the, the oceans are all linked together. <clears throat> And so uh, everything is linked together in consciousness. <clears throat> in the body, it is the same consciousness that imbibes the experience, which is like honey gathered by the restless mind, which is like the bee. The mind's always described as a bee g gathering honey. Uh, I don't understand that metaphor. <clears throat> I've renounced, I was talking about it recently, I've renounced metaphors because I used to be terribly involved in them as in English literature. Now I hate them. <laughs> Not really. A metaphor is like a bee. No. In this universe, all these various beings, the gods, the demons, mountains, oceans, and so forth, so you have gods and you have oceans, they're all different beings, flow within this infinite consciousness even as eddies and whirlpools appear in the ocean. Even the wheel of ignorance, which causes the wheel of life and death to resolve, to revolve, revolves within this cosmic consciousness whose energy is in constant motion. <clears throat> you could ask, what is this man smoking? It's quite extraordinary psychedelic point of view. It was consciousness in the form of the forearm Vishnu that destroyed the demons in the mythological uh, scriptures. Even as a thunderstorm equipped with the rainbow quenches the heat that rises from the earth. <clears throat> so uh, when the, the monsoons come in India, they all celebrate because the rain comes. And so uh, he's referring to that. It is consciousness alone who takes the form of Shiva and Parvati of Brahma, the creator, and numerous other beings. This consciousness is like a mirror which holds a reflection within itself without undergoing any modification thereby. So he's making the important point that even though all these things are created, consciousness itself remains the same. It doesn't affect the underlying consciousness. Like in a mirror, the mirror is not affected by what it it reflects. Without, under, <clears throat> without undergoing any modification itself, this consciousness appears as all these countless beings in this universe. It is this infinite consciousness that all is, is thought of, expressed, and done. It is the infinite consciousness alone which shines as the sun. It is the infinite consciousness which appears as the different bodies, which are in fact inert, and which, come, and which come into contact with one another and derive various experiences. The bodies are inert without consciousness. This consciousness is like a typhoon, which is unseen in itself, but in which sand particles and, particles and dust arise and dance as if by themselves, 
I got an insight from that, that a typhoon, a hurricane, is invisible. We just had a typhoon here, as uh, Yogi Sri and Vani were explaining. And you don't actually see it. You see, you see leaves uh, blowing, you see trees falling down. Uh, you can feel it, you can hear it, but you can't see, you can't, you know, you don't even hear it, you just hear the effect of it. So it's quite invisible. And yet it's there, we know that for sure. Then the same is true of consciousness. This consciousness casts a shadow in itself, as it were, and that is regarded as tamas or inertia, so or maya. You could say that the world illusion is a shadow that consciousness casts within itself. <laughs> this body, in this body, thoughts and notions generate action in the light of this very consciousness. Surely, but for this consciousness, even an object which is immediately in front of oneself cannot be experienced. A rock cannot experience something in front of it. Only consciousness can experience it. The body cannot function or exist but for this consciousness. It grows, it falls, it eats. This consciousness creates and maintains all the movable and the immovable beings in the universe. The infinite consciousness alone exists. Nothing else exists. Consciousness alone has arisen in consciousness. <clears throat> I think I'll stop because I'm afraid that you'll all become enlightened if I continue or fall asleep, one or the other. <laughs> <You know. clears throat> so what are we going to do with this incredible emphasis on consciousness? What we have to do is reflect on our own awareness. Everything that we see in life, we see through our consciousness. Our whole experience of life is through our own awareness. That you can see immediately, you can't, you can't argue with that. We see everything through our own awareness. We know nothing outside of our own awareness. We know everything through our own awareness. And this is, this is the property of awareness to look outside of itself. But awareness also has the property to look inside itself, to look, to introspect, to turn within. And that's the spiritual path. The spiritual path is consciousness after going outside for a long time, turning within and reflecting on itself and inquiring, who am I? What am I about? What is my real purpose? What is my real essence? And that's why it's such an important uh, thing to be doing. It's so significant. So let's do that. The essence of it is to meditate. So I'll lead a little meditation. We'll meditate for 10 minutes, but I'll do a, a guided meditation on consciousness, on awareness. <clears throat> let's do that. Okay, we're going to turn within. And look inside and reflect on your own awareness. You've had this awareness all your life. You haven't been 
self-conscious about it, but it's through your awareness. Your awareness was there when you were a little kid, when you were a teenager, later on. You were aware of your family, your parents, your friends, your school, when you're working. You're aware of this and that, every other thing. Now I want you to turn and regard that awareness itself. That awareness itself. Let go of all your thoughts about it, your concepts about it. And just be with the awareness. Don't, don't think about it. I'm not asking you to think about it. I'm asking you to be with your own awareness, if that makes sense. Just be aware. Be aware. You've been aware all your waking hours. Now just be aware. See what it means to be aware. See what it feels like to be aware. Enter into that awareness and experience it. We'll meditate for 10 minutes on that awareness. And that awareness is not different from the self because truly our self is our essential awareness. So let's meditate now on the self, on awareness for 10 minutes. Once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Lakunath Maharaj Kij.